Borak Thug, Earthlets, it's Conrad again, and here's the retaped episode 15 of Space Spinner 2000. So, if you're listening to this way in the future, please slot this one between episode 14 and 16 for future reference. Otherwise, um, here's the more detailed version of what happened between episode 14 and 16. <laughs> in the future, Fox and I, of course, promise to avoid these kinds of non-linear episodes as much as possible. Also, before we start, I just want to mention that our 2080-1977 contest is still running. Just contact the show with your favorite thrill of the year 1977, and we'll send you a copy of my favorite thrill that year, Shacko, at no cost to you. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain if you define everything as a polar bear murderously rampaging across the frozen north with the CIA in tow. Anyhow, on with the show. Splendug for a thrig! If you change your mind, take a chance, on the first line, honey, I'm still free, take a chance on me, if you need me, let me know, gonna be around, if you got no place, Borak Thong Earthlets! My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 15th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This is a re-record of the 15th episode. The initial one was lost to time, and you know, Fox, I just think that's just what makes this officially a podcast. You know, you aren't officially a podcast until you've lost at least one episode to technical difficulties. Well, so, I mean, now we're technically 2000 AD canon, right? Like, Trans Time Corp, hand-waving, backslash, uh, Rick Random reference, insert. Dude, you're... I'm <laughs> messing with the timeline. You're messing with the timeline so much right now, and I don't I don't super appreciate it, honestly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll keep my mouth shut so that we don't get killed. Uh, past. You're gonna, you're gonna make me have to eliminate you in a paradox. Oh, and no. Then, and then suddenly I'm doing this show with some other guy with an animal name. Like I'm working with like Drake or something like that, you know? Dude, it'd be a time cascade. We'd all turn into animals. Man, I don't want to be an animal. That's Ugh. what I'm talking about. I'm trying I'm trying not to, I promise. It's just I can't help it. I wanna ruin time. Don't ruin time. Okay. Bucket list. Alright. <laughs> anyway. This this episode we're covering February 1978, Prague's 50 through 53. We'll see the end of invasion, the beginning of Colony Earth, and the return of Mach 1 this month. And solemnly hang our heads for the beauty that is invasion, burning out like a beautiful star. Mm, but speaking of burning out like a beautiful star, <laughs> or a star, a star slayer in this case, Thrill 1... Dan Dare. So, uh, last week we ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, Dan Dare and his band of merry jerks were assaulting the uh, Star Slayer Empire, and like things were looking bad. And then there was a readings on the radar, and it's like, oh no, who could it be? But it turns out, in fact, this time to be a reinforcements from the slave races of the Star Slayers that we've met previously. Go go space orcs and yeah, laser swords. There's the space orcs with their laser broadswords. There's the bug dudes. And they have special suits so they can shoot the little weird jellies out of their forearm. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess we also met some minor guys, but I think those guys were uh, pacifists, so they can't take part. Yeah, they were doing other things. It's kind of mentioned, like they were taking care of the base or something like that. Yeah. So. 
Dan Dare. Uh, so as the Star Slayer is being taken down, Dan Dare runs out to take down the Dark Lord of the Star Slayers, and he runs face first into the flying helmet star of the uh, of the stars of the uh, Dark Lord of the Star Slayers. Helmet star is my <laughs> yeah. Everyone remembers because it happened for them a week ago, Fox. Um, <laughs> but the Dark Lord's um, helmet has a star on it, which looks ornamental, but he can put his fingers like up to his forehead and <laughs> shoot the star out of his hat, and it cuts people's throats open. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and this one's getting dangerously close to Dandare's fashionable eyebrows. Yeah, luckily, in the next prog, he manages to use his uh, laser broadsword like a cricket bat and bat away the helmet star and eventually destroy it. <laughs> all that, all those years of cricket practice coming into into full fruition. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is quite a try, I'll say that much. <laughs> so, the Dark Lord escapes and has the... and uh, So, the Dark Lord escapes, he gets in like an escape pod... And he tells the Slayer fleet to fire like a huge Armageddon missile, and they're an like, "Armageddon missile!" Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, but the Armageddon missile that'll kill all the all of Dare's guys, but all of our men too." And Star Slayer's like, "I don't care. I'm evil. I love killing my own men." Um, <laughs> but as they fire the missile, it apparently it, uh, it it accidentally flies directly into the Dark Lord ship. And it kills him, and he's apparently moved far away enough from everybody else that he's the only one caught in the explosion. Yep, and then everybody has a cool standing around party until they have to leave for more action. Yeah, well, the Star Slayers surrender, and the slave races are decided to start are freed, and they're going to start building a star alliance out of the ashes. And Dan Dare is like, cool beans, uh, <laughs> I'm not here for peace, I'm here for killing stuff. <laughs> Him I and mean, the space even, fort fly off into the sunset. Well, I mean, even, like, pilots just like, hey, man, when do we get some shore leave? And he's like, fuck you, don't ever say that. <laughs> we'll have shore leave on the ship, all right? How about that? <laughs> when you're shooting monsters from another planet. Right. So, in the next prog, uh, the boys in the space fort find a space coffin floating around in space. They That's get in their... Yeah, they get in their spacesuits and run out to get it. As they do, it scans Dan Dare as he touches it. And when they open it aboard, there is a Dan Dare clone inside. Now, Whoops. As always happens when there's a clone of somebody, the two of them <laughs> scuffle, and everybody's instantly confused. Yeah, like, oh man, the one who came out of the coffin. Which one is he? Looks just like the other guy. Well, the, you know, they're dressed exactly the same, and then they scuffle, and it's hard to keep track of anybody, you know? <laughs> Unless you win three-card Monty every single time, Fox, you can't look down on these guys. I guess. <laughs> but so, the crew decides that fake Dandare is the real Dandare. Uh, Fodare? Something like that? <laughs> um, and... They decide to uh, to chase and kill the real Dan Dare. Uh, real Dan runs and fake Dan grabs Bear's pistol and shoots at real Dare. And he kind of hits him down an alley and everybody assumes that the real Dare is in fact fake. Or is, is uh, in fact dead. Yes, because they think the real... Because off the ground from his coat. Yeah, they think the real Dan Dare was both fake and now dead. So, uh... <laughs> Which is great. Not confusing. 
well, you know, the fi- in the uh, final prog this month, fake Dan Dare is walking around the uh, the bridge. He's acting uncharacteristically evil for regular... Oh, I should mention, I guess, that the clone of Dan Dare has all of Dan Dare's memories and stuff. He's able to, like, know people's names and stuff to be uh, to pass as Dan. But yeah, it's really weird. He, he's also really, like, super evil and shouty and, like, hey, here's some coordinates I just happen to know. Take the ship there. And everybody's like, wow, like, Dan's really being a jerk, and I wonder how he knew the location of this planet. Whatever. Uh, well, I think, you know, even Dare has his off days, and he probably gets a little snarky with people, so they're like, oh, man, he must be all pissed because he saw a clone of himself, you know? I can see it. Um, so, eventually... Uh, Real Dan shows up and he proves that the alien isn't him by showing how the fake Dan Dare basically keeps grabbing other people's guns to shoot at him. <laughs> and then the whole thing ends with Real Dan Dare, uh, well, I guess taking someone else's gun and shooting the fake Dan Dare. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Luckily, uh, the fake Dan Dare, when shot, turns into a bunch of a uh, big pile of like vegetables and plant matter. Yeah, and it smells super rotten, and everyone's grossed out. Yeah, but it looks like while the plant could copy all of Dan's um, knowledge and stuff, it couldn't copy the mechanical construction of a blaster. So I could just look like it. Yeah, so he couldn't actually use the gun at his waist. And then, oh snap, they're just outside of this weird planet now. Hey, let's check it out. <laughs> so I, you did skip over one part that I think bears mentioning, which was there was a buggy race. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay, yeah. The one key part of a uh, of fake Dan Dare or a real Dan Dare escaping from fake Dan Dare was that the two of them got in space buggies, like you know, just like little golf carts in the belly of the Star Fort, and just had a had a low speed chase through the corridors of the Star Fort for, for um a, a a couple panels. Yeah, it's pretty great. They dump crates. There's some wreckage. They're like, oh, God, this all sucks. And there's some fist fights, and someone gets shot with a laser. It's right. It, 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 the only way it could have been more stereotypical is if there was some sort of fruit stand that one of them had driven through. <laughs> I also want to say before we move on that um, <clears throat> when we originally tape this show there's a really funny part where fox said all right so we're at this alien planet uh tune in next week as dander kills them all uh genocides all of them and as we know from last week's episode that in fact happens so big ups to uh to fox for figuring out the beats of dander i i mean if there's one thing that is positively true about this man it's that he takes no chances with anything and by that i mean he will kill entire races of people if he has to it's pretty good. You know, you got to be sure, I guess. I mean, you just got to be decisive, right? Like, it's space. You don't know who's going to try and doppelgang you out of a freaking space coffin. You know what? That's true. got to kill? Yeah, fair enough. But, you know, it's it's just really easy to kind of see right through that kind of ploy. So, of course, it's going to kind of result in genocide. This is why we're a good team. Thrill to the visible man. <laughs> I'm trying so, my best. So we'll remember from uh, episode 14 that Frank Hart is this dude. He was driving down the road. He got hit by radioactive chemicals, and now That's his true. skin and muscles are see-through. Which is really the best kind of superpower if you want to be hunted by a private uh, doctor organization. Now there, it's it, it's government based. I suppose he does have the police on payroll, which yeah. Really nice. So Frank Hart's on the run. He uh, 
there's an opening scene in in the opening part uh, in a uh, Prague 50 he has sort of like he kind of goes crazy basically uh, briefly awesome. and he has some visions of him being used as like a uh, a quote unquote medical punching bag so like and these sort of images culminate in this really cool thing of uh Frank Hart as a visible man being like jammed inside the reservoir of like a big syringe and then being injected into something and it's very yeah. like trippy and very cool. Montero like absolutely murders it and I if like this is the kind of stuff out of unbridled Pat Mills I'm really excited to see more because uh once again we're seeing like this really good use of um black as a contrast color and white yeah. as the like main portion of most people it really freaks me the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> so after sort of recovering himself frank goes to find his girlfriend marie and he sort of explains everything to her and she's like oh okay like i still love you that doesn't sound that bad but then he turns <laughs> on the light and she's horrified because man that guy's got no skin and no muscles yeah he's super gross looking i don't blame her yeah so he but tries she still loves him even as he runs yeah but like it's a it's a distant love you know it's a love of like all right but you should go you know <laughs> <laughs> um so after a confrontation so frank starts to escape he's got a big confrontation with other people living in her apartment building mm. and he ends up getting shot and but he does manage to escape and as he uses his uh, visible um, you know, state to be able to easily pull the bullet out of his shoulder, he realizes that uh, he's the odd man out, the Joker in the pack. But look out, because this Joker's wild. <laughs> it's the corny dialogue I love the most. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing that's been said so far in 2000 AD. Um, so we start the next prog with the visible man on the run. He like crashes a wedding reception and has gone full muty, uh, full mutant. He starts calling people norms while eating fistfuls of cake and drinking champagne straight from the bottle. It's pretty awesome. Hey, it's great. He steals clothes and stuff. He just yells at people. Ah, look at you norms. But then he gets sad and he uh, tries to turn himself in to the uh, doctors and stuff with a. He tries to sort of negotiate, like, all right, I'll turn myself in if you guys give me the antidote. But suddenly, instead, there's like a thousand police officers outside <laughs> of the phone booth he's talking in. And they uh, beat the crap out of him, essentially. Yeah, it's really horrible. It is like like 50 cops show up to then sustain beating this man until they throw him into the back of a paddy wagon. Yeah. So instead of being able to negotiate his return, instead he just sort of shows up and the evil Dr. Bernard says he's got something really special turn, uh, cooked up. And, and that really something special is just shooting him into space. Well, yeah, it's space stuff. You know, we start with him seeing, with seeing him on a huge centrifuge and then they send him up in an autopilot rocket to see the effects of space travel on the visible body, which of course requires a uh, see-through spacesuit and stuff. Which does not sound safe for him at all when it comes to radiation. Yeah, but you know, they're probably interested in the effects of radiation on his body too. You know, that's part of the fun. I, I guess. It just seems really horrible for him. I mean, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's the point, you know? 
they're treating him pretty horribly, <laughs> honestly. Because of, because of all this, and he just sort of sees that his life will just be a downward spiral of increasingly dangerous situations. Hart takes control of the ship because he realizes that it's actually got like food and water stores that will last him for years for some reason. So yeah, like food pills yeah. or something? So he takes control of the ship and he plots a course for into deep space. As he flies off into the blackness of the void, he says that he just resigned from the human race. Oh, snap. We'll never see him again. Yeah. Which the is end? Sad. Fox with a question mark? Yes, that's the end of The Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> which sucks, because I, I actually... This is one of those few comics that I felt like had an opportunity to really get weird, you know? I mean, it got pretty weird, but yeah, it's sort of dead before its time or something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also pretty interesting about uh, The Invisible Man that it was actually supposed to be a launch 2000 AD uh, comic. Like, oh. yeah, there's a bunch of, like... If you look around the web, you can kind of find like a, like a con- like a concept prog that's like sort of like called like prog zero basically, and it's huh. like it's mostly like concept art and other sort of like early versions of some of the other stories in that were launched 2080 style um stories like Harlem Heroes and Mach One and mm. stuff, and one of the other stories in there is um, the Visible Man. Oh, that's neat. Huh. Yeah, so this is sort of just one that was sort of in the one of the first stories in the hopper, you know, and so <laughs> he, and they sort so of brought they just, it out. Yeah, they just had it to spare, so they figured they'd use it. I think it was pretty neat. I think the visuals were really on point. Yeah, there's some really awesome stuff in the course of Visible Man. Quikies. <laughs> Quikey indeed. Thrill three. Walter the Wobot. Friend <laughs> of Dwed. Uh, yeah so uh walter yeah i think it's an acquired taste um i think you kind of have to just be like a kid in 1970s england to really be into to be really pro walter you know or just you know not be smarter like everyone else i just assume anybody who says that they're pro walter is actually just kind of being edgy you know yeah, oh. hipsters of the 1970s. Well, of the now, when they say, uh, yeah, I like Walter. Walter's good. I'm like, no. What? Um, People say that now? I've seen it once or twice around the we internet. Live in the future, you can have better opinions. <laughs> so, uh, the all the Walter the Robot stories are just one-page comics. They're sort of in the middle of the pay, of the prog. They go pretty quick. Um, or, yeah, either in the middle of the prog or sort of, or like the last page, they're often in color. Uh, first up, uh, Walter is invited to a fancy dress ball. He takes a bath to get wetty, but he gets his toes stuck in the tap. The plumber is called, and there's just one thing to do. Walter goes as Fueda Stare, because the tap of the bathtub is stuck to his toe, and Fred Stare is a tap dancer. Get it? Next up, uh, Walter wants to go swimming, so he goes <laughs> to a local pool hall. And yeah. you know you don't swim at a at a pool hall. <laughs> you play pool. You got ah. You don't get it. Um, <laughs> finally, we start sort of a linked series of of progs or of stories in in Walter. Yeah, right. uh, Walter gets uh, flamed for a bank robbery, and he goes on the one. While on the one, Walter is attacked by a mugger. His bag is revealed to be full of dwed oh. press clippings. Press uh, clippings, I should say. 
And then things start to look bad for Walter when a suspiciously judge-shaped shadow falls upon them to be continued. Oh, thank God. We're done with Walter, right? That's right. It's time for Thrill 4 Future Shocks. I'm ready for some serious twist action. Some good stuff in Future Shocks, man. So first off, um, there's a future kid who goes exploring some robots with a sweet guardian robot. The and he's, robo- a total, he's a total fucking dick. Yeah, the robot's a dick. Um, it's programmed not oh, no, to let the kid. I mean, he's just like obnoxious. Oh man, I feel for the kid. You know, he wants to get away from that mother hen robot because <laughs> the robot won't let the kid like out of arm's reach, basically. Mm-hmm. But then, while they're exploring the ruins, they uh, because the robot's super heavy, and I should mention it's sort of got a robot, a, a, like a regular kind of Robbie the robot type uh, torso. But it's mm. instead of legs, it's got like a giant ball, like a a yoga ball you might. Um, sit on at an office if you have back if you want to do something for your back problems or whatever mm-hmm. um so this robot's ro- ro- rolling around with the kid and the floor of the ruins weakens and they both fall through this big uh, hole in the floor oh snap they're trapped well yeah they're trapped because the kid could probably climb out but the robot won't let him out of arm's reach if the kid tries to <gasps> escape then the robot like grabs him and pulls him back down basically and the robot can't climb out because it's got a ball legs, you know? Um, yep. And things are looking bad because uh, it, night is falling and there's mutants in the ruins. Uh-oh. Oh, snap. This kid's going to get eaten. <laughs> I don't know if that's a super air horn. This is just kind of a regular story, I think, almost. It, it really is. I, there wasn't much of, like, a, a twist outside of, like, don't buy a robot with strict conditions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. Yeah, there's we we we've had more like way more ironic um, future shocks, you know. <laughs> and that's really the irony index is what we're basing all of it off of. Regardless. I mean, to activate the air horns, yes. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to only be taken in extreme uses of irony. I take it seriously, buddy. Um, hey, man. Yeah, I guess we should. Yeah, the second future shock is there's a basically an old space garbage man who finds a a random satellite and sends it off to the uh, trash receptacle, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't realize that it's a beacon for an incoming fleet, Uh, a fleet of like angry aliens that don't like humans but also don't know where Earth is, (laughs) and so yeah, so both the beacon and the fleet fly mindlessly into the garbage disposal area, which is the sun. Oh, yes. Just seems like they're, they were meant to die anyway. Autopiloting, not paying attention, using a beacon. Also, good job bureaucracy and uh, really the, uh, the trash collectors of the world. Good on yeah, you for saving us. Absolutely, yeah. Always big ups to uh, to sanitation workers and stuff that do the dirty jobs that our society runs on. And as also, you can see, save save our planet for sure. And I just want to say also that I really appreciate the sun being used as a garbage disposal unit. Um, Makes sense I, to me. I once got in a really big fight with people about a forgotten Kurt Russell sci-fi movie, uh, Soldier. I've never seen it. Calls called Soldier, but basically, whatever. There's a Kurt Russell's <laughs> uh, trained from birth to be a super soldier guy, 
Then he gets replaced by the new models, which are uh, led by evil business dude, or like, you know, evil bureaucrat dude, Gary Busey. And they uh, they kill Kurt Russell, and he's tossed out with the garbage. And so he ends up being dropped on a garbage planet, which is a planet that has a breathable atmosphere, but they just toss all the garbage on there. And then he yeah. sort of meets the people who accidentally have been abandoned on there year, you know, for a long time, including uh, Michael Chiklis from The Shield and uh, Jason Lee from like Mallrats and various other things. My name is Earl. Yeah. So This looks awesome. We might actually check this out. I, I can't. I think I, I I saw it 20 years ago. I can't speak on on, on its actual quality, but I enjoyed it at the oh, time. I mean, it looks like complete schlock. I'm so excited. Yeah. Except I remember thinking that like, why do they drop? Why do they use a planet as their dump when they can just toss it the sun? Anyhow, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the next future shock is uh, there's a dude. He's on a six year round trip solo uh a, a solo space voyage and he mm-hmm. basically goes space crazy just from loneliness and stuff but it turns out that he was actually just in a simulator and has only lasted 10 seconds oh snap yeah so he thought he was alone but actually he was just a simulator and he thought he was there for a long time but he was actually just there for seconds ah oh, isolation's a hell of a drug <laughs> bang, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this one was also literally the plot of the first episode of the Twilight Zone called Where Is Everybody? Oh, really? Yeah, which was like, I mean, in that one, it wasn't a, ki- a guy on a spaceship. It's sort of the spaceship took the form of this guy wandering around sort of small town America in a, in a, in a, in a town that was completely deserted and sort of, you know, rocking and shouting, where is everybody? What's going on? Where, where am I? Who, what do, you know, what's... Um, who am I? All this stuff. And it turned out that he was um, in a capsule doing a test for a, mi- a mission to Mars or something like that. And the attempt broke him, you know. So it's basically the same sort of plot. Man, they really do just kind of take it from them, don't they? I mean, you know. No, I mean... It's, it's a slightly yeah. different version. And the art sort of showing the guy's descent to madness is pretty fun sort of on this ship and stuff. Oh, no doubt. Like yeah. it, the the pictures of him like pulling pulling at his lips and like contorting are really great. Yeah. So, final future shock: uh, a famous actor tries uh, tries to avoid death. He loves horoscopes and all that stuff. He talks to a computer guy who can show him how he will die, and he sees himself being killed like on Fifth Avenue in New York City. To, I don't know um, if I'd want a computer telling me all this junk. Yeah, you know, well, this guy has got a, sp- a special thing. A lot of people actually say, like, don't do it, including the guy who owns the computer. Like, he said, yeah. like, don't do this. You won't find happiness this way. And he's like, let me know. So, <laughs> in the end, he moves to England because, like, oh, well, if I die on New York City, then I just won't live in New York anymore. But then he goes on a movie set, and then he's run down by a car, and he dies on a set that looks just like Fifth Avenue in New York City. Oh, uh, you, you can't escape your fate. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Take that weird actor guy. Exactly. You should you have know. just done what all the other actors do and become a massive alcoholic. Oh, you can do both those things at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, pretty decent future shocks this week. This this a month, I thought. You know. Yeah, I they the first one especially like. I recall the first time that we read through this, it was just like, whoa, this was 
ridiculously dark. There was just a child that was going to get eaten at the end of. Well, it. yeah, it was more of a it was more of a horror story than like a uh, here's the twist story. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, exactly. And I'm I actually I'm kind of all right with that. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the the junk food esque twists that are future shocks, but yeah. uh, you know, no. once in a while they make a really good story. Yeah, variety in future shocks is always nice. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so let's go to uh, Thrill 5, Judge Dredd. Full swing of awesome going on right now. Welcome to the Space Olympics, the year 2100. You're part of a grand tradition. Your name echoes in the holes of the universe. <laughs> I love that that album, but specifically that song was freaking yeah. amazing. It's the Space Olympics okay. on on a Luna One this this week, Fox. It's really great. Yeah. So then, as now, um, the no good commies of the Sov cities are cheating <laughs> constantly. Um, we get Influencing the our presidential election. <laughs> right, I don't want to get into it. Um, but we see the uh, the Sov cities. Which are the you know the, the Soviet cities whatever um, we get our first look at the Sob City judges and then we see the uh, um, and like they start testing athletes to see if they're doping in some way whether they be mostly cyborg or yeah, of um, yeah or genetically engineered and the Soviet athletes are both <laughs> yeah man haven't I really would have just expected that they've seen Rocky Four you know it's Something. the future. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that has come out yet, but definitely the spirit of it. <laughs> um, so the events start, and we see all the all the records for the Olympic events being messed up by low lunar gravity. You know, which you'd think you'd plan ahead for, but whatever. By, by the end of the um, event, the medals are even between the Sov cities and Luna One, and it comes down to the hundred meter sprint. The Savs almost win, but then their man is disintegrated by someone in the stands. And Judge Dredd with a funny okay. cone head wins instead. <laughs> yeah, he's got an aerodynamic cone head, man. That's the uh, that's the Luna One runner. It's really great. So Dredd investigates and he finds the cultists about to be sentenced to death by Sav judges, and apparently there's no death penalty on Luna. So. Dredd tries to shoot the gun out of the hand of one Sob judge, but the bullet ricochets and kills the other one. And that means it's war. Oh, man. A full-out war between Luna and, and the Sob cities? That's going to be crazy. So many soldiers, potentially. Yeah, well, it seems like instead of Luna 1 and the Sob cities fighting in a f forms of modern warfare... They're fighting in the forms of Call of Duty Modern Warfare because... Which is much more awesome. <laughs> because the battle between the Sov cities and Luna 1 takes the form of a five-on-five five five deathmatch, basically. That is then televised and has, a, has like a radio or a TV personality just like spectating. Right. It's really great. So the, uh, the Sovs have superior weapons and armor, which means that Judge Dredd... And they slaughter these uh, Luna One forces, which means Judge Dredd has to come in as a, as a, as a replacement. Of yeah, course, they've got he, a special gun that like explodes people. Yeah, and of course Judge Dredd wears his army helmet over his judge helmet, naturally. <laughs> I'm glad so, they make them that large. Yeah, so as they fight, 
Judge Shred realizes that the Sav uh, beam guns need to be zeroed in on a range. So if you keep coming at them, the beams will go right through you. Like really the beams, like are, a huge flaw. Yeah, like the beams are designed to like if if the enemy's thirty feet away, the beams will go out thirty feet and then activate and just and disintegrate whatever's thir- thirty feet away. But if you move like a couple feet forward or back or whatever, then the gun will not affect you. So, really great for killing people in cover. Really bad for everything else. Yeah, luckily, um, like other, like a more third-person game, the uh, war being fought is made of mostly of chest-high walls, which is always very important. <laughs> but uh, Dread and one of the other guys rush the Sobs and take them down, killing them with their own weapons. The war is won, um, and it ends with Judge Dredd beating up the uh, the host of the war, like shoving his microphone way down his throat. Yeah, getting sexy with it. And then Judge Dredd says that uh, war shouldn't be a game, which, uh, fair enough. Yeah, he's just like yelling at people on TV, just like, you guys are terrible, because you watch this crap. Yeah. It's horrible. It's pretty cool. It's not that funny. But do you know what is funny? <laughs> A bunch of people dressed up as, like, 1940s comedians. But yeah, you're right. A bunch of uh, jerks are robbing banks in Luna 1 disguised as classic film dudes. <laughs> they start as a trio of Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin. Then they use a face change machine to switch to the Marx Brothers to escape. Um, <laughs> Brian Ballin does the art for this prog, and it's pretty great, although it's I'm pretty like he's 100% like copying these faces from stock photos of these oh, guys absolutely. basically. So Dread sort of does some actual investigating and finds out that a trio of con men recently bought like one of these portable face change machines. Which so you'd bring- think like you'd you'd have some sort of law not unlike acquiring guns or something where it's like, "Oh, you're a criminal. You can't buy a face change machine. Man, what if you got a weird face and need to change it, though? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dread brings it. Uh, so Dread arrests them and takes them for. Or, no, he doesn't arrest me. just takes them for interrogation. And then, uh, until Manny Bloom, the crookedest lawyer on the moon, who has the uh, the face of character actor and acromegaly sufferer Rondo Hatton. But he doesn't have a special face that was made through a face generator. He actually looks like that guy, but is not that guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's one of these things which is kind of like a fun thing that I yeah, guess. exactly. I think it's just like, it, maybe like Brian Ballin just got one of these things that lets you like project an image onto a page. So you can then sort of color it in and then kind of be like, or, you know, ink over sort of the projected image and be like, all right, I've drawn like this, like super accurate picture of this character. <laughs> and Rondo Hatton seems like a cool guy to do it just because he's got this really, um, like acromegaly kind of means that parts of your, of, of your bones and stuff kind of keep growing throughout your life. And so he's got this really distinctive, like, um, like, like, like knobby, weird-looking face. That's really that's that, that's pretty cool, actually. And like, you know, yeah. sort of he- helped him in his roles in um, in movies as being sort of a big bad guy, just because people kind of looked at him and were like, oh yeah, this guy is evil. Just look at his face, you know. Yeah, over-accentuated features and things like that. 
Yeah. So Manny Bloom yells at, at a Dread about procedure, which is really weirdly like 20th century for Dread, you know? It's mm. like, my guys have rights. You can't just hold them without arresting them and stuff, which seems odd. But anyhow, yeah. in the end, Dread goes undercover by using a face changer to look like the lawyer, and he gets them to confess on tape and then takes them in. <laughs> Like, it's all very, like, sort of standard cop stuff, which is unusual for the future cop stuff of Judge Dredd. Yeah. Like, why not just arrest them and say, like, I think it's you? It's it's neat the way that he does it. I think it's weird that he uses actual tape, like a yeah. tape paper cutter. That, that part's true for sure. But, like, you know, I think it's, like, Judge Dredd does work within the law, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't just make things up or do things capriciously for the most part. He just enforces the law sort of as it exists. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, sort of it could seem like he's being tough, but he just he's try to, tries to enforce it evenly. So if there's, law, if there's rules about sort of not arresting people or just sort of, you know, just arresting people for just because they, they, he suspects them of doing it instead of there being proof... <laughs> Like I could see that sort of stymieing him, you know. He's got to, you know, he's got to find proof to be able to fairly judge somebody. You know what That's I mean? That's the difference between us and the Sov cities, man. We're yeah, not just a bunch of commies. Exactly. Basic. I mean, <laughs> literally true. Yes. <laughs> hey, man. Like I'm, I, I know you meant I that sarcastically, but no, that's that's like that. That's what the difference is. Yeah. Like hundred like, percent. I mean, we've already seen the proof, so. Like, they're both sort of fascist states, but, like, one at least tries to go through the motions of justice, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Um, so, the uh, the fourth story is, like, there's this dude. He's he's finally bought his dream sci-fi supercar, and he A gives his... son. Yeah, well, he gives the, the sci-fi supercar an artificial intelligence personality of, like, a ten-year-old kid... So the car, like, calls him dad and stuff. Oh, really weird fetish. Something. But so uh, the, the guy who owns the car, he drops a wrench into the car and by accident messes up the circuitry of the car. And now the car's on a rampage. Yeah, man. Killer car time. Yeah. It runs through Luna 1. It kills tons of people. And Judge Dredd is out for blood car blood because yeah. you know it's also nominally a robot and we know how judge dread feels about robots hey man it ain't got a soul you gotta destroy it mm. so elvis who which is the name of the car drives drives around through the city uh goes to a car park <laughs> makes an and, army and basically drives through this parking lot ripping out the uh, don't go on a kill crazy go on a kill crazy rampage uh, parts of all the cars, and Which, now all these now all these cars are gonna join him on a kill crazy rampage. I just having a part that stops that. I feel like just don't put the kill part in in the first place. You know, you'd think so, but maybe that's uh, what makes like all robots super useful. Is like, well, we have to program in the kill circuits because if we don't, then they can't do all the other cool things. I mean, they have a really advanced artificial intelligence, so it's just sort of their, their you know, just like with humans, buddy, it's just their conscience and, like, feelings of uh, mercy and empathy and stuff that keep them from running around killing everybody, you know? Well, you know, I think um, mercy and empathy only get us so far. Uh, I certainly know 
someone who's quite savage <laughs> about I don't know how to do this. You wish, buddy, because we aren't going. We aren't going to invasion oh, no. just yet. No. Oh no, we're going to non thrills, no. letters and stuff. No, I forgot. I'm bad at that comic book. Don't worry, buddy. You don't know what my list is. I keep it secret so you can't see all my notes and then steal my jokes. Uh. And let me tell you, if there's anything I'd Carlos Mencia, it's your dry wit. I do my best, buddy. So let's quickly go through all these things. The big thing to remember is that um, the first two progs this month, 50 and 51, have a continuation of the Supernova card game. And oh, so, yeah. As well as talking about letters and stuff, we're going to rate which ships are our top and bottom. Hell yeah. So uh, in Prague 50, Tharg offers 50 pounds to people for suggesting Judge Dredd villains. And Walter the Robot gets an in-characters letters page to answer Dwed questions, and it's bad. Um, yep. in, we also get bon- the final page of Bonjo from Beyond the Stars. No one where, Bonjo. Mm, uh, where basically as the monster, where the monster dies and Tharg shows up and he's six the living axe from the first series of, of uh, Dandare on the creator of Mark Ar- Mark Ardvark for upsetting awesome. the delicate balance of 2000 AD. Yep. So, let's go to super so oh and I agree that this uh, delicate balance was also disrupted because get out of here with this stuff. Yeah, thank you. So, uh Supernova Fox, the card game. There's six ships. They all have fun stats. Um and now we rate which one is the top, which one is the best one each prog and which one is the worst one. So, what mm. is your top Supernova ship this month? Or this week well, for Prog 50. I can tell you I can't remember what I said. So this is me coming in pretty pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will say that the Planet Destroyer, pretty neat. Got a great name. Got got an auxiliary ship that it can use. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the missile ship because it can fire those special missiles that we were talking about the last time. The hunter killer missiles. Yeah, and what's man. your bottom ship this month? Or this week, I should say. Uh, you know, to be honest, <clears throat> it's kind of a toss-up between the rescue ship, which I think is a complete cop-out. It just looks like a regular space shuttle, like, right now, but with a red cross painted on it. And the destroyer, which is, like, really big and interesting-looking. It kind of looks like a big vacuum cleaner slash aardvark. But the name's super boring. It doesn't seem to have a lot going on. At least with, like, the single-seat fighter, it's kind of, you know, it's a fighter plane feel to Mm -hmm. it. And the colony ship looks really neat. It's huge. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Destroyer. It's real boring. Ah, last, the first time we did this, you said you had a colony ship as your top and rescue ship as your bottom. Yep, rescue ship sucks. Yeah, for me, my top is the uh, is also the missile ship. This is the same as both ones. Missile ship's real cool, and it shoots the hunter killer missiles, which I was really taken with last time. They are uh, pretty cool because they got smiles on them and stuff. Uh, someone painted angry faces or happy faces on all the uh, on all the hunter killer missiles. And then my bottom is the rescue ship. The rescue ship is just the uh, the space shuttle with yeah with a red cross drawn on it and like some bug eyes in the front, some red some some red sort of glass eyes in the front. Um, it's real bad because I want new ships. Yeah, come on, like get creative. Like remember the the weird living ship with the butthole mouth? That thing is yeah. awesome. Oh yeah. So 
<laughs> Frog 51, we get some pretty good uh, drawings from kids this week, including some future cops in a space station. And mm-hmm. then we get the rules for the actual Supernova game, which is kind of like Snap, I guess. You sort yep. of list one of the stats that you, these ships have. They all have, all have five stats, like attack, armament, power, maximum warp speed, or survivability rating. And you sort of say, like, well, I'm going to play whatever the uh, unarmed fighter, the, the unarmed freighter card and use right. its um, range as its defining <laughs> characteristic or something like that. I don't know. Whatever. Um, then everybody's like, all right, well, I can beat you with this. I beat you with this. I beat you with, you know, then snap. I win all the cards. And whoever has all the cards, the end wins. Yep. So anyhow. Game, but hey, you can make something cool out of your comic, I guess. Yeah. So Fox, what are your top, what's your top and bottom ship for Prague 51? Um, so we'll start with bottom. This is a little bit weird. So like the one man assault suit, kind of lame, in my opinion, only because it's not a ship. And the uh, police fast pursuit vehicle, also kind of boring, just says police on the side, but more interesting than just some like one man assault suit. So one man assault suits are at my bottom, mm-hmm. but top's a little weird because I like the starship carrier just off of like an idea of a thing. It doesn't make any practical fucking sense. Just call it like a star base or something. Um, but I'll go with the uh, the unarmed freighter only because it's got a lot of like weird. Um, bubbly bits around it and stuff. Yeah, it kind of looks like like a bee, to be honest. Um, yeah. Last time you said, I believe you said your favorite was the Starship Carrier, and then mm. your least favorite was the Police Fast Pursuit Vehicle, and yeah. then, as now, I say that that's bullshit. The Police, the police Fast Pursuit <laughs> Vehicle is awesome as fuck. It's <laughs> this sweet black ship it says police on the side it's got guns and like a face that looks angry it's real good the police fast pursuit vehicle is a real good ship um so what's your bottom my bottom's a one-man assault suit dude yeah that thing sucks it's just one it's just like a couple dudes and all these other ones are spaceships i'm not interested in a bunch of guys when um I've got, but, but, but I'm doing spaceship stuff, Fox. That's my, that's yeah, what I and, have to say. And I don't get their uh, attack armament factor being bigger than a, a vintage Anastasia ship, you know? Which looks kind of like a frog ship. Maybe they yeah. got like super, su- super rifles or something. Who knows? I guess. Just blowing up ships with their dinky little dumb guns. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so uh prog 52 a kid asks what will happen to the title of the comic in the year 2000 and i'm pretty sure this is the first time this has been asked but i can't be sure mm. it won't be the last time someone asks it <laughs> another kid writes in and says that school totally drools and a third <laughs> demands a full body shot of tharg which is provided yeah i <laughs> Uh, just want to go out on a limb and say, like, hey, Tharg, future future reference, like, a kid asks you for some selfies, like, you can get in some trouble, man. Just stay away from that. Man, that's not even a concern for, like, 35 more years in Tharg's <laughs> timeline. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's also some pretty good uh, spaceship and robot pictures, and a mm-hmm. final letter calling out for the mess for a mess up with the name of the prince in invasion. Like they called him Prince John and then Prince William, like once or twice. Uh, whatever. 
Yeah, then in Prague 53, Tharg fields questions about UFOs and why he doesn't use time travel to bring the, uh, the uh, dodo back to life. And the answer is, of course, that everybody's too busy bringing back dinosaurs for their delicious meat. Yeah, I mean, dodos are stupid and serve no purpose. That's why they're dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a pretty good picture of like a space scene, and a kid talks about how all the big sales and shopping in England is done in January, which seems kind of weird, which seems weird from an American standpoint. Yeah, I guess, Boxing Day. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess like British Black Friday takes place like in January. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, like, it, it takes place after Christmas instead of before Christmas. Yeah, like, uh, I think it is called Boxing Day, something yeah. like that. And uh, I remember hearing on NPR a bunch of really boring reasons about why that was important. Ah! So. Um, you know, I don't know the strange culture of these of these Britishers. Um, <laughs> there's also, in this issue, a pretty nice uh, cutaway technical view of Walter. Um, you see all of his different tech uh features and doodads and it'd be neat although all of them is written in uh walter speak which is woof i'm so upset with you right now do my best buddy uh, speaking of upset thrill six invasion oh Oh, it's the end of invasion buddy it's real sad only the good die young Only two um, invasion actual episodes this this month. Uh, the first with Savage and the Prince still reeling from the death of Peter Silk. They completely buy that the British Royal Liner has arrived to prince up the to pick up the Prince, but it's actually the evil Rosagold Volgaska in disguise with yeah, gross with Nessian chains. Such garbage. She's such a perfect woman. Mm. The uh, the prince is taken hostage, but Savage escapes. He swims back to the uh, previous ship, only to find the entire crew of that ship murdered. And Georgia <laughs> has now con- changed into Georgie in full Volgan uniform. Yeah, I also call him Tiny Arms because in the next Prague, he's got really small arms. <laughs> <laughs> well, like they're they're muscular, but they're T Rexy, you know. Yeah, it's weird. But so in the final Prague, Georgie kind of kicks the crap out of Savage, but our man Bill manages to find a distress rocket launcher in the and ship's goes hold. Nuts. I love his crazy face. He uh, he blows Georgie away with it and then starts attacking the royal yacht with it. <laughs> now it's they're the ones such in distress. A good shot. It's such a good shot because like they're all standing on the ship and and uh, Rosa's like sitting in this like fancy chair just watching them beat the shit out of each other from far away mm-hmm. and they just see this guy flying off the side of the ship like. Like fire streaming behind him, and they're like, "Damn, Georgie just like punched him off the side of the ship." And they go floating over, use a little hook to pull him up, and they're like, "Oh, oh no, that's Georgie, and he's got a rocket sticking inside." <laughs> yeah, and then Savage starts shooting them, and I just want to mention that I said previously that uh, he's using a distress rocket launcher, and now they're the ones in distress. Oh, yes, that's my joke. Thank you. I don't want. I want everybody to hear it in its full glory. Um, <laughs> I find it to be perfect. So, in, so, uh, Rosa shoots, so, like, the prince tries to escape and Rosa shoots him, but before she can finish him off, Nessie wraps her chains around Rosa. The two of them wrestle and then go off the side of the ship, falling into the water, presumably to their deaths. 
I like to think that she just became the uh, the goddess of the ocean, as Ness was supposed to. Certainly possible. <laughs> um, but since you're a character arc, man, she came from the ocean. That goes back from whence she came. It's it's true. So savages uses so savage uses the uh, ship guns to kill all the Volgs, and eventually the uh, stolen royal yacht is picked up by American and Canadian fleets. Um, savage and the prince sail into the Saint Lawrence estuary, and it's over. And that's it for Invasion. Such, like, uh, bittersweet, man. Like, fanfare and everything. But it was a good end. Like, yeah, really good action. Yeah, Savage will return in 1979 for the prequel story, Disaster 1990. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Britain will eventually be liberated by American forces using newly created Hammerstein robots, as we'll see pieces of in a few months when Robusters comes to 2000 AD. I'm really excited for Robusters. Yeah, man. It's going to be good. But hey, speaking of uh, killer droids, <gasps> Thrill 7 Inferno. Oh, yeah. And as you said last time, this is brought to you by the letter H. Yeah, so. (laughs) For homicide. That's right. So when we left, uh, Giant, the leader of the Harlem Hellcats, had been knocked out, and this evil assassin droid named Pearly, who was disguised as a Harlem Hellcat cheerleader, and they sort of all carried big H's to symbolize their team. But her H had like a death blaster in it, and so she was holding this giant H up to Giant's head and was about to shoot to shoot him to finish him off. But instead, she stopped just in time by Lewis, who is the member of the team that is just a brain that is implanted into a uh, into a robot body, a weird <laughs> and, android body thing. Yeah, and so apparently his android body and the robot are on the same robot wavelength, so he's able to um, get there in time to receive their, you know, to see, receive the transmissions. To get there in time. Pearly gets hit on the head by an inferno ball and explodes. It's really brief, great. Yeah, during a brief timeout, the Hellcats realize that they're marked for death, and they come out swinging. Uh, literally causing the other team to get a penalty shot, I guess. Uh, yeah, giant... they, they go, go kind of berserk with bloodlust. Yeah, Giant worries that the team is not a team, but a bunch of hate-crazed animals. Mm-hmm. So, war continues. Uh, everybody goes crazy. Moody Blue, the uh, goalie, is put in a penalty cage, and the replacement caveman, that's the name of the goalie in Inferno, can't keep up. Uh, the fire banks equalize. Slim, one of the last surviving heroes, is tethered by the fire banks and his jetpack explodes. And so he's out for injuries. And it gets into like a weird bubble bath <laughs> of building back his body. Yeah. So the game ends and the, he- and the Hellcats lose. Um, Lewis decides to retire to become a full-time team manager, and the call goes out for more team members with tryouts and stuff. And, uh, Snap, who's, who is it that shows up? Why, the greatest stunt biker in the world, Regal Eagle. He's looking real fine. Yeah, and that's Eagle with three E's. <laughs> Just E-E-G-L-E. for emphasis. Yes. <laughs> so, Regal Eagle shows up. He's a jerk. Also at the board of their garbage. Yeah. Also at the same time, Moody Blues brother shows up to be a new flyer. 
there's immediate animosity between Rudy, between Moody and Regal, and it's clear that Regal is just using the team for one reason or another. Meanwhile, Lewis has managed to bring the robot Pearly back to life. And it's lo- horrific. Yeah, resurrected Pearly looks insane, like a crazy zombie robot. <laughs> yeah, like he's he was just like. I mean, yeah, maybe she's just a robot, but he could have thought, like, oh, I'm going to have people come in here and see this, and I don't want them to vomit all over the place. Nope. Um. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a weird brain in the jar now. Yeah. So it turns out that, like I said, they have the same robot uh, android model number, so they pick up signals from each other. They try to investigate, but the robot self-destructs, but not before they find out the identity of the man that made the robot. Meanwhile, like I said, Moody Blue's brother Marvin is on the team, and they head out to play the Long Island Sharks. And just want to say, like, I think um, when I first saw uh, Moody's cousin, I made the comment, like, that I didn't, it was just, like, super weird to see him. I just want to say that, you know, with the, given the foresight that I have, this guy's a pretty great character. So if you're reading this for the first time, give it a shot. Like, yeah. the team they've put together works out pretty well. Yeah, Mo- Moody's kind of a huge caveman guy, but Marvin's sort of a small um, gremlin guy, I'd say. Mm. Um, so they go to the stadium of Long Island Sharks. They have this cool shark arena. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you drive through a shark's mouth to enter it, and it's this big... So awesome winding elevated roadway to get there mm-hmm. as they drive up it's revealed that the prize of this game is a new inferno roadliner complete oh, with man. new inferno bikes nice well yeah. it's too bad they already have one well i mean it's a good thing that is the reward because as they drive the uh, hellcats rig suddenly blows out and the team tumbles into the sea this team for has a second time. Yeah, this team has no luck with team buses for sure. I'm just saying, like, get a different mode of transportation, <laughs> or come separately. Like, really, just each one of you come separately. I mean, that's what Regal Eagle is doing. He's sort of making his way on his own power. Yeah, but that's where we end the uh, the Harlem the the uh, in the Harlem Hellcats of Inferno this week with them plummeting into the Hudson Bay. Yeah, um, good stakes so far. Soon to possibly die in a watery grave. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely pretty good. Um, I think it, it sort of shows a uh, like this sort of turn towards um, them playing again and, and more things happening during a game uh, than before. You know what I mean? Yeah, I always appreciate Inferno stories that take place on the uh, on the game pitch as opposed to outside of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. I, I still would like to see a little bit more of the explanation of the rules and things, but it's nice enough that we've got stakes, right? They're under attack. Uh, you know, uh, they've been knocked out. A bunch of things happening. Completely dissected a robot, all while trying to play a game of Inferno. Lost, which is very unusual for them at least from their mm-hmm. aeroball days yeah no, the, the the heroes never lost so it's interesting to see the hellcats losing so much mm-hmm. yeah you gotta gotta learn the game you know what i mean yeah it's sad from the gift of of uh of hindsight that we have now as travelers from the distant future that we never really get that uh full explanation of what the rules are yeah it's really <laughs> too bad but i mean you know you gotta you gotta play or else you'll get rusty kind of thing 
it's true. Hey, speaking of a thing of a too bad, um, Thrill Eight Colony Earth. Oh God. <laughs> so I'm feeling relatively ill. Can we skip this? No. Uh, so Jim Watson writes and does the art for this this new thrill, Colony Earth. It's told in a really, like, or it starts in a really breathless second-person narration, which I kind of like sometimes. It's mm-hmm. like a bunch of fishermen pull, pull up a robot. Like, you're a fisherman, and you pull up a robot from the sea. Um, but then the fishing boat is found two weeks later, abandoned by a nuclear sub, and they see the robot on the ship. They blast it. And then the next day, Commander James Hunter is sent out to investigate the now-missing sub. Which, uh, you know, got done did, got blown up by a robot beam. Yep, space robots. <laughs> and then they excavate, I guess, like a, a capsule, and they see an image on it. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is oh. like from the past, kind yeah, of. Hold on, hold on, buddy. <laughs> um, oh. they, they, they find the fishing boat abandoned. At, or yeah. and oh, right. looking for the sub, they find the abandoned fishing boat, and then there's a weird capsule under the waves. They winch it up, and they uh, consult with a uh, professor who's come on the trip with them, Professor Vandenberg, who looks the markings on the castle uh, on the capsule and says they match those from a ten thousand year old South American civilization, maybe from aliens. We'll see. Yeah. So. Soon afterwards, in the next Prague, the sub is found several miles inland in South America in the middle of a destroyed village. Which uh, is every- kind of neat. Yeah, it's, it's just a cool to see this big watercraft just sort of sitting out in the, in the open several miles inland, sort of around, among the smashed remains of this sort of village thing. Yeah. Uh, everyone in town and on the sub is dead, and Hunter, with three helicopters, finds this crazy alien robot thing. It blasts away all the helicopters, and only Hunter and the Professor survive. They hide behind a wall as a spaceship, with similar markings to both the robot and the capsule, swoops in to hover above the robot. Which, you know, so far the start of this, pretty good. A lot of words, for the love of Jesus. I mean, we, but, yeah. But uh, really liking the explosions and the, like, beam... Um, looks when he actually gives it space and doesn't clutter it with a bunch of words yeah there's pretty good action mm. in co- there's pretty good action in colony earth but it can sort of get in its own way with its super wordy descriptions and narration and it feels really jam- like a whole bunch of stuff jammed into the small number of pages it has it's not yeah. really it's not the best example of sort of the like short short storytelling that we've come to sort of expect from 2000 AD, you know? Well, yeah, and I think you, you kind of hit it on the head. Like, it feels breathless. Whereas I feel like uh, Future Shocks, as an example, don't feel breathless. They're just like, they know what to do with the amount of pages that they have to tell, like, a really crummy story or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, even Invasion used to only have two or three pages to tell yeah. a story. No, yeah. It, it exactly like like colony earth always feels like it's like a seven page comic that's forced to be on like five or four or five pages you know which if if that's the case my argument for this person is like yo man just you know you you got what you have to work with tailor down your shit <laughs> so it goes you know <laughs> yeah 
But that brings us to our final thrill of the week. <laughs> thrill 9, Mach 1. Who's getting real hammered and gross. Yeah, man. John Probe is back, and he's hecka drunk in New York City. Um, <laughs> in the seediest of bars. Yeah. He's still pretty hyper-powered, though, despite not getting regular hyper-power top-ups. He yeah, kicks man, the crap. Yeah. yeah, man. He, he kicks the crap out of, like, five guys, but then he gets blackjacked <laughs> in the back of the head. He, uh, he wakes up in Mr. Sharp's office. And Sharp's got in a messed up way. He pours scalding hot coffee on his face. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so yeah. Sharp has a mission for Probe for John Probe Mach One. First, he's got to get cleaned up, and they sort of reapply the hyperpower treatments to him to give him more hyperpower. And then he's underway. He's got no other choice. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the the cleanup panels they did, there were three. So it shows him taking a shower. And then it shows him, like, shaving in the next one. There's a guy there who is burning his clothes. Good good indication of just uh, what it was like to be in the room with John Probe at that first That's scene when they brought him back. <laughs> Gonna burn his shit. Yeah. Anyhow, stay tuned. Uh, I guess last episode for The Dolphin Tapes. I, uh, preview. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, these guys know, man. They listened to the Dolphin Tapes adventure last last oh, week. Oh yeah, <laughs> welcome to the past from the future. Time travel. Uh, <laughs> so as this uh, time traveling episode of Space Spinner two thousand comes to a close, Fox, what were your top and bottom thrills for this month, February nineteen seventy eight, <sighs> Prague's fifty through fifty three? So it is It is uh, a little bit difficult, uh, and I'll explain why. Obviously, we've got Invasion, which I feel ended very strong. Um, you know, plenty of action. There was an explosion. A man got shot off of a fucking boat. Nessie dragged a woman to the bottom of the ocean. Sunshine got back to Canada. Really feeling good. Um, would have been great to, to, you know, see some more, but you got what you got. Mm-hmm. That's Dan Dare is also in full fucking swing. We we just finished our uh, Star Slayer um, saga, which was really great. We're coming into this weird doppelganger planet. Judge Dredd, it's Luna City One. It's like having their weird Olympics. Yeah, Space Olympics um, and war with the Sovsit. Yeah, which I like. You can't really complain about what's going on here. So uh, when I say that we've got like a lot of embarrassment of riches, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like what's going on with Inferno. I'm not putting it in that category just because it's still got some things it's got to do. It's got some things it's got to work on. But I like the story so far. So um, simplicity first. I'm going to go with Invasion. I think it, it well deserves its accolade. It may not be the best out of all of the thrills that it's definitely covered because there are some really amazing ones in there but in terms of how to stick the landing for an ending not have it feel rushed um and still like somewhat impactful that's invasion how about right. you well what's your bottom thrill this month oh Fox? my bottom thrill right 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 so uh and you, oh and and it can't be walter the robot uh uh to be honest <clears throat> Yeah, I don't even 
remember what I said last time. I'm just thinking. Uh, I'm going to go with Colony Earth. Like, out the gate, it's not exactly the most interesting thing in the world. There's a robot. There is a laser. There's not much else going on. I had to read a lot. Anytime you're asking me to read a lot in a comic book, um, <laughs> you better have some content there that's damn well worth my, my time and energy. Fair enough. <laughs> um, my top this week is Visible Man. Yeah, hell yeah. Visible Man's real neat. Um, it's sort of this forgotten, just little six six progger. Um, it all happens real quick. I really like um, I really like John Hart's sort of dis dis. I really like oh sorry Frank Hart's uh, descent into madness. You know. Yeah. Like both the both the time where he's freaking out and he kind of sees himself inside the uh, syringe. That's a really arresting, awesome image. And then, like, when he goes to the wedding feast and he's just, like, eating, you know, just, like, pulling fistfuls of cake off this, wet, off this like, huge tiered wedding cake as he, like, chugs champagne from the bottle. And then the wedding party shows up and he's, they're like, oh, my God, this terror. And he's like, that's right, norms. Like, nom, 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 glug, glug, glug. I eat your cake. You know, that's really yeah. cool. And then just, like, um... He goes off into space, which is just such a weird thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, man, he just says, um, he's the Joker in the pack, and you gotta watch out because this Joker's wild. And uh, <laughs> that's real good. I don't know what to tell you. It's a great tagline, and I think what's really in the favor of Invisible Man is that you don't see. At Hold least on. I certainly haven't a lot. Oh. Hold on, Fox. Not Invisible Man. Oh, visible man visible man thank <laughs> get you get it right um what what i really like about it is that um at least from the stuff that i've read which is not a lot this is a pretty unique comic like how many people or how many comics have been written about a dude with translucent skin going crazy not many translucent skin and muscles <laughs> yeah which is like that's nuts and you got to mention and that they really go in a direction that isn't like he's a superpowered dude it's like no the world is definitely spurning me so i'm going nuts yeah and then for my bottom thrill i'm gonna say colony earth as well um i'm not a huge yeah i'm not a huge colony earth fan it's really verbose and i wish it wasn't um the art's really good the story is decent but like it um it really suffers in the storytelling, which is um, unfortunate. Yeah, I completely agree. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, so I think that's it. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. Or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K. And for everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Tune in next week as Judge Dredd returns to Mega City 1 and then heads out to meet his destiny in the start of the first true Dread epic, The Cursed Earth. Old enemies return for both Dan Dare and the Harlem Hellcats. Mach 1 nears its complete conclusion and Colony Earth finds its own. And we start a new thrill, Death Planet, the story of 2000 AD's first female protagonist.
Ooh. Yeah, I said that same thing at the end of episode 16. Don't worry about it. It's all way out. Until next time. Et cetera, et cetera. Indeed. Until next time, I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug, Birthrig. Splendug, Birthrig.